We're here at the deconstruction zone, but uh, we're missing a person. Or we swapped a person. You're yeah, in. We're missing her. We're missing her. You're in front of the mic, in front of the camera, behind the mic. Um, but I'm excited because we got a little different vibe. Emily, she's a teacher, so a little sporadic schedule. But I'm excited to to dive into this with you. And I texted you last night. I said, what do you think we should talk about? And what did you say? Uh, mega church pastors. Mega church pastors. So, yeah. yeah, there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, so to deconstruct, to deconstruct, because I do. So, so I'm Dustin. You didn't introduce me. Oh, I'm the producer. Yeah, yeah. Introduce yourself. Who so are my you? My name's Dustin. Uh, I co-own a company called Public Art Company, where you guys record at, and um, I'm your producer. Yeah, I love that. Also, though, I think for context, like you've been a pastor, mm-hmm. you're creative. You've worked in churches on the West Coast, Midwest, East yeah. Coast. Uh, not no, not East Coast. Okay. Uh, cause Panama city beach doesn't, isn't considered, <laughs> that's the panhandle. Sure. No, but yeah. So I've worked, uh, Seattle, um, Columbus, Ohio, Panama city, and then, uh, up here. So not yeah. in church up here, but I worked 25 years in ministry. Yeah. And, and did church uh, adjacent stuff here. Or oh no, I did church stuff here. Yeah. I didn't do youth ministry here. Sure. No, I did church stuff. I planted a church here. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd be interested. So we're going to talk about like mega church pastors. And I was just saying you, before we started recording and maybe it was while we were recording, I'm not even sure. But that I just started listening to the rise and fall of Mars Hill. You right. were in Seattle during the yeah. time mm-hmm. of like the rise of Mars Hill. Correct. Pre-fall. Very early, very okay. early in even actually. So because I've been listening to this podcast and I just started it. It's been really interesting for me because like it seems like he was immediately a celebrity mm-hmm. from day one, at least the way they're talking about it. Like, so for you as a pastor in the Northwest, specifically in Seattle, like were you privy to who he was? Oh, yeah. I went to uh, Seattle Bible College, now Seattle Bible University. Uh, don't let the don't let the title fool you. It was a Motel Six that they <laughs> turned into a school. Is that true? Yes, hundred percent. I love it. Uh, and it, so it wasn't very big, uh, but I, I went there, and my college roommate Jamie was uh, their base, their first bass player, and so like I knew about it from from jump. Um, okay, but I didn't. It wasn't a big deal then. It was just like I worked at a church. I was a youth pastor. And, you know, I was actually not a youth pastor yet. I was the junior high, like the middle school volunteer leader. Sure. But I was an intern, so I was working towards. And I eventually, uh, the this, the uh, youth pastor moved on and I took that job. But so, I mean, it wasn't a weird thing back then. It wasn't yeah. like, oh, Mars Hill. The only thing weird about it was the name. I mean, that was a weird name because no one was naming their churches these obscure like biblical references, biblical references. Yeah. yeah and so uh but he was playing there and he was my friend and so he'd fight me and it was in the evening uh and at, for a while it was at a church and i gone well first it was at i think it was at second prez downtown they they rented sure. their chapel okay and um i think that that was their first building but i'm not sure and i went uh, I went uh, to that to watch my friend play bass and we got there super early cause we rode together and it Ballard where Seattle Bible college is, is, is pretty close, but we were, I didn't have a car. I was a mountain bike, you know, for sure. college. You're, student. A, you're so, a Northwester. You're cool. Yeah. You know? And so uh, he drove and I, so I had to go early and I just remember the first time I went, um, I, you know, I'm in the second row or the front row. I think it was in the second row. And, you know, they're practicing and you have to get there an hour and a half early. There's nobody there. And people start coming in and out. You know, Mark comes in and out. But again, it's not Mark Driscoll. It's just the pastor. And sure. I've been 
to 500 churches in my life. And, you know, some white guy gets up there generally at the churches I've been to and says yeah. some things. And uh, so it wasn't weird. It wasn't anything, you know, crazy. Sure. My first real, this isn't normal church experience there was uh, the band had been um, practicing and then church started. And when church started, the, you know, there was somebody said, Hey, church is starting. And then they played yeah. worship songs. They, then there was a break where we all shook hands. We used to do that. I don't think we most yeah, do that no. anymore, but, uh, and I turned around and when I turned around, the place was packed and it, it was empty when I had, it was just a weird juxtaposition, but the guy, there was a, a gal, a couple seats back from me who looked like, you know, she could have been maybe someone's grandmother. And then, but, and then like two people over was a guy with like a three foot Mohawk and a denim jacket with all the patches and the spikes. Uh-huh. And I was like, uh, this is different. And there, so there's these punk rock, you know, kids there, there's hip hop kids there. There's uh, all kinds of, yeah. Older folks that to me, I mean, I was 20 or whatever, 21, yeah. they were old, you know? Um, so yeah, that was my experience. And then, but, but the thing about Mark was, and I, and I was, I worked at, you know, the, the, uh, nightclub that they eventually that leaf more yeah. purchased. And then, um, I did security there. Um, but so I've been a part of it at a couple of different spaces, but I really wasn't, I didn't, att- I didn't attend regularly. I wasn't a member of that church. I worked at a church. So it was just like where I would go and hang out when my friends went. But the thing about Mark that was always really, I thought intriguing was I'm a, I'm a guy who grew up without a dad. So mm. there's, you know, masculinity for me. Uh, when I see someone masculine, I'm immediately attracted to the masculine nature. Sure. I don't care if it's Hulk Hogan or if yeah, it's but you the know, personality archetype like draws you in. Yeah. And then and then of course you start to see their their faults and their flaws when it's a movie or TV show, you know, and you but you, you know, whatever. Uh and with Mark, that's how he was. I mean, he I'd never heard a preach. Like usually they're doughy white guys who lost their hair. Yeah. They're not usually the coolest guys, at least at least where I in my the circles I ran with. Generally very kind, maybe a little soft. Little soft. Yeah. And uh, he got up there and he was anything, but I mean, he was known for a long time as the cussing pastor or whatever. Yeah. And I don't know what that is about me. I mean, as a human being, but like in Braveheart, you know, when William Wallace's wife, you know, she gets, she gets killed. And then the way he, you know, he takes out the guy who, who ordered it the same way that she got taken out and I cheer, you know, but that's not, that's not Jesus. Yeah. You know, that's not mercy. That's not grace. That's not love. And he would preach for an hour and he would just be like, You'd captivate people. get used to it. This yeah. is what I do. You know, I liked that. Yeah. Well, that isn't like, I think that's an interesting point to our conversation in terms of like what captivated you, because for him, it was like very much a, he was going after in a lot of ways. I mean, the city of Seattle, but also like specifically men and either men that felt a void of maybe not having a father, but like from at least what the podcast says and what I've heard and my Uh, feelings of it was like guys that weren't living into the fullness of what he deemed to be manhood. And yeah. So, but I wonder though, in terms of like this idea of mega church pastors, like as we look around, um, like I feel like that's a pretty common thread of like mega church pastors is they're like pretty good at like cultural analysis. And they're also like pretty good at speaking to like a, a felt need. And so Mark in that community, like it's, for whatever you want to say, like people say like the Northwest is a more progressive, maybe a less masculine place. And he found a group of people that were hungry to be told like being conservative and being masculine, Mm -hmm. like hyper-masculine was the right thing to do. And so 
I don't know, like from your perspective, like how much do you think that's a, does that play into the other mega church pastors, right? Like the preacher sneakers guys, the Hillsong people, like, I don't know. I mean, do you, well, let me ask you this real question before I answer that question. Do you think that they do it on purpose? Like, do you think that mm. they're, they have their, their finger on the pulse of culture and kind of what's missing and then they go after that? Or because like, that's the same way I feel about politics. Sure. You know, when I look at our, our previous president, you know, I go, I mean, he definitely like him or don't like him. He had a massive impact on like sure. culture. And there was clearly this humongous group of people who felt yeah. unheard. Yeah. So was he a genius or did he just fall into it? Right. That's what I wonder those things, yeah. you know, because yeah. I don't know. I wonder that, like, I kind of wonder that a little bit, like in terms of pastors. So I think about like the, is it right place, right time? Is it like really, really just brilliant people? Because I think like, what do you, whatever you say about Mark Driscoll and some of they really are brilliant people. I think, um, who's the guy, Bill Hybels, right? Like yeah. I want like for him, his pursuit was of like an economic business person. So, mm-hmm. and he built that archetype and he was in the right area. Well, and right. he did that on purpose. Right. And Clearly. So I, I think I mean, he some of the people are like really, and then what's the, what's the saddleback same guy, Rick Warren, right? Rick like, Warren, yep. So I think some of it is like, there's a level of calculation yeah. in that. There's also like norms. Sure. I mean, in that like people need a mission, you know, men specifically want, need to have certain needs and specific things that they want to go after. Women, have maybe different things. Yeah. And then we have a lot of things that are that co, you know, that we that we go yeah. after together. But um yeah, I don't know. I don't so to answer your question, uh how how much of that I, I don't know. I mean, what I know is I look at these mega church pastors and I kind of feel like each one of them and I don't and maybe some of them share common characteristics. But you look at, you know, um the the guys who write a book, okay, f- like Let's take um, Purpose Driven Life, for instance. Yeah. I mean, this book came out at a time, it seems like, where self-help was sort of at its peak. It's it's yeah. rising again right now. But like where self-help was like the thing. And when you see a book that's called Purpose Driven Life, who doesn't want purpose? Yeah. Know? My church read it when I was – I remember being maybe middle school, think high school. Like yeah. it was the small group study for our entire church. Yeah. And that's what like my parents and my older brother like – who's Gen Xer, right? Like that's what they were hyper into. Sure. And I, I read it. I've read it multiple times. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, it was, it was game changing, but was it, I haven't read it in a while, but like if I went back and read it, what is it just a bunch of comments? I don't know. I can't remember. Sure. But who doesn't want a purpose? So if you're at the bookstore and you, and you run across this book and you, you, maybe you buy it. It doesn't say Jesus on it anyway, or like on the, in the title at least. Sure. Yeah. It's in the so, faith section, but you don't see Jesus or faith anywhere. on it. Right. And so you go, all right, well, I'm at the airport. This is, I like purpose. I'd like purpose and more purpose in my life. So you buy it, but you know, he got mega, mega wealthy and he, that guy's a goof, you know, yeah, right. uh, that guy's a super big goof. And uh, you know, as far as I know, I don't know. I don't know all of the, uh, you know, I don't know all of the, f- the folks that have fallen or, messed up but i think he's not been canceled i think he's no i mean other than the southern baptist uh, well southern baptist convention not liking that he wants to ordain women now other than yeah, that canceling, right well I think. nobody takes the southern baptist convention as <laughs> the you know end all be all but at least i don't uh but what i would say is like you know i even i even read something and, and i don't know if it's true but i think it is that he actually paid back the church uh all of his salary for yeah i heard he tied like either all of it or 90 something percent of whatever the book sales were. Or something well, I think, like I think he actually 
lived on the books and did the opposite. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. Might have been one of them. but the but the idea that like I mean that that's noble to me, you know. But he's a goof, you know. He's not he's not yeah. like he's not a Craig Rochelle, and you know Craig Rochelle's a goof in his own way, but he's buff. Yeah. He's buff, and he's you know articulate. Um, and I'm not. I think there's a lot of these pastors. So I. Here's, can I tell you my take on politics, and then I'll lead that into. Sure, I'm interested. So I don't think there are any politicians who aren't dirty. Uh-huh. I'll say it here first. You heard it here first. I think at, I, I think there are a lot of politicians who start off with really good intentions, yeah. and they start off and they're they. Oh, I, I'm going to change the system. I can this group of people that I have with me, sure. we can change the world because we care about these folks or we care about this group or we care about the environment or whatever it is. But I don't see, I I feel like just systematically it's problematic because if you have a number of people coming to you, trying to sell you on a different idea. So you're, you're creating laws, right? If you're in specific parts of government um, and you have people coming to you saying, I, uh, I want you to do this. I want you to do that lobbyists yeah. I mean, at some point you have to sell out to get your thing through. There's no more like there's no bills anymore that just have one thing. You know, it's always right. some stacked some in crap and folded stuff, yeah. stuff in. And so you you go, well, I'm going to sell out a little bit right here. I, it's not a big deal to me if we do that. You know, yeah. maybe hunting seasons longer because, the yeah. you know, we need to sell more bullets or whatever it is. Right. So we're, he's like, I don't really care. But that really wasn't this is this is about some this is about adoption. Sure. But they're saying if I so that we're going to fold it in. And so you start selling out a little bit and then eventually you just become a monster. I, and that's my that's my take. Yeah. I don't think there's anybody in of who you once were big like, government. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, I mean, maybe you're not a bad person, but you're just a complete sellout. You're a poser. Sure. You are, you know, you're, you know, and I, I don't think there's anybody in big government that is. Yeah. And that, that might not be your opinion. So this is not the <laughs> official deconstruction. But well, I, so do you feel that way just to connect? Is that how you feel then about megachurch pastors? I think megachurch pastors, I don't think that they're all monsters, but I think they start to believe their own press clippings. I think they yeah. start to believe they wrote a book and they wrote it. Oh, we sold all these books. I mean, I read, uh, I read Homeboy's book from uh, Australia before he got Brian Houston. Yeah, it was almost not readable. It was almost. <laughs> it was. I mean, like he poorly sh- written. Oh my gosh, he should have had a ghostwriter. It was <laughs> atrocious. And this is a professional communicator. Uh, I, I actually never finished it. I started it and I bought the book and I started reading it. And I then I bought the audio book and I still couldn't because I can't stand his voice. But I, you know, but the guy has built a brand a yeah. thing, you know? So, um, the way I feel about mega church pastors is that they eventually begin to believe their own hype. And when you believe your own hype, you begin, and I've seen this at so many levels. And when you talk about, I'm just talking about, I, I can talk about just pastors. I've been at churches with 400 people yeah. that have the exact same problem with their ecosystem that a church with 5,000 people has. Sure. If you're a pastor, who brings it on Sunday and maybe you're not even that good, but everybody and by not that good, I don't even know what that means, yeah, but like, to what <laughs> um, but if you preach on Sundays and you stand on a platform and then a bunch of people tell you how good you did, whether it was really good or not, I don't know how as a human being, you don't start to kind of take that in. Yeah. Like increase your own stock. It's one of my least favorite parts actually. And one of the things that I don't think it's because our church wouldn't do it, but because of the way we're geographically or the way we're like spatially designed. Mm-hmm. The last church that was at, like you would preach and you'd book it down the aisle mm-hmm. so that you could shake hands on the way out and mm-hmm. be like, hey, great sermon today. And it's like, hey, I don't even know if you really mean that. Right. And it's like, 
statistically that has to be impossible. Right. You know what I mean? And so I actually Well, what does it even mean? Yeah, what does, does, that, it does mean? that mean you told good jokes or does that right. mean that I mean, but it's something I wrestle with all the time is right. like the idea and I think we can get more into this and you too in your pastoral ministry it's like you want to be really good at sharing the gospel, whatever good means. You want to invite people to meet Jesus and have their lives transformed. You want to do all the things that are the fruit of that, or at least we've determined the fruit of. But then the dark or shadow side of that coin is that you get to the side and you think you did all of that, right? right? And I think it, that's and it, the biggest. And it doesn't, it creeps in. Yeah. It does, yeah, it creeps it's not in. like a baseball bat to the head. Like you didn't sure. think you were a dirtbag one day. Yeah, you didn't and then you think you are amazing. Be, yeah. I don't want to be whoever, right? It's just weird, man. Like, when I was working at a church that was considered a mega church for a while, and mm-hmm. I had times where people would walk up to me and they wouldn't say hi, Dustin. They would say hi, and then the church name. They would like, call me the church's name, that's maybe because they didn't know my name, but I was still like that <laughs> church famous in the community. If that makes any sense. So, like, if you were a Cardinals, by like, hey, Cardinals, like yeah, that. exactly, yeah, <laughs> so weird, and, and it happened a number in of public, times like in, in, public. Church, yeah, in public, like not in public, yeah, no, in public. And, and it's weird. Cause like my main job, uh, there was just to, I was the guy on the camera when sure. they did announcements. So I was the announcement guy. I wasn't, you know, that's why they didn't even know my name, but I, you know, I could tell you, like, you, I go, yeah, you look around, I could get used to this, like people kind of knowing who I am and sure it, there's clearly this like, um, feeling of like, they think it's, I'm cool. You yeah. know, I, I don't know why, but it's, I think it's because you're on the platform. Yeah. Or well, on the, the screens. There's like something from the podcast, the rise and fall of Mars Hill that I was listening to is, and maybe they're going to get more into it. You finish it. I haven't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the connection between like your ability to communicate really highly and share the truths of those things and have a brand, all those things really outpacing the cultivation of your character. And like, that's something that my wife and I talk a lot about. And, yeah. like, we don't think the well is going to be a mega church. We don't think that I'm going to have a, a million followers, but like the potential that happens, like we're always trying to right. like think about what are we rooted in? Because her biggest fear and one of my biggest fears is the idea that like I become so invested in the theology or the brand of who I am. Mm-hmm. And that like the whole reason, like I remember the reason I got into ministry was because I remember what it felt like to not know Jesus and to see people that didn't know Jesus and know what it felt like to be on the outside. Yeah. And like, that's always has to be the thing I point back to. Cause it's not about like, and I haven't written a book, but how many books did I sell or how many podcast downloads or sermon listens or high fives after service. But then you see the people like the, the Lintzes and the, the Driscolls and the whoever's and not saying that's probably unfair to even put them into that. But like the back padding becomes what you're after in some ways, or at least the fear of when right. I look at myself. Right. Or to see the pastor's faces on billboards, you see them all around oh, St. Louis. And so it's gross. like the idea of that, like just drives me crazy. The idea that you think that, when someone's driving by that if they saw your face or yeah. you and your cute wife, yeah, that right. you're going to show up to yeah. the church service because I would love to it. see like, like there's no way that works. I, yeah. There's right? no way. Can't. I mean, no, I mean, people, we know that people, people go to church because they get invited by someone else. That's why yeah, people go to church or they have a, um, they have a, a devastating thing that happens in their life and then they're just go or they move sure you know google yeah and, um so yeah i mean when it comes to mega church pastors i mean it, i don't know how you don't believe i'm not i'm not even throwing shade at those dudes because i don't know how i would do it yeah. either i mean think about if you were a musician uh if you were a stand up comic yeah, any if anything you get big in like once emily's famous yeah right 
What's we'll Emily's to, famous? We'll have to be your anchors to bring her a, back down. What is it? Uh, is this the high school teacher? <laughs> Which is a famous high school teacher. No, comedian. All, comedian. I know, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm being a comedian. Uh, right? I like that. Um, so, oh, yeah. No, but I think that, like, I don't know how you're supposed to guard against that. Because I think one of the things that uh, you would do is you'd put people around you, like your wife, that would help ground you again. The problem is you probably aren't going to get to mega church status if you don't have it, it's almost like Steve Jobs, like Craig Rochelle. I mean, that dude, I, as far as I know, not canceled. Uh, yeah, it seems to be fine. You know, but I mean, he created like you version and, yeah. you know, he was Methodist. He was in the Methodist system like you. Like you. Yeah. Did you know you're in the Methodist? I didn't yeah. know. And I knew he was. Yeah. And and they rejected his ideas. You know, they were too yeah. wild. And now he's, you know, the largest arguably person. the got the biggest church in the world. At least in the United I think it's the biggest church in the United States for sure. I mean, because it's not really in one place. It's all it's yeah. the internet, you know? I see all the time if you go on Indeed, mm-hmm. they are like permanently hiring campus pastors for every yeah. location. Yeah. And they're like unpaid volunteers job, but you can find them. Really? Like I remember when I was looking for jobs uh before I moved to St. Louis, like I was Googling like pastor jobs and uh, like across the country. Didn't matter what city I Googled, like Life Church was and it's because like they have built a church that's Built around one person's personality, obviously, right. but one that their model is to build it anywhere. So that's yeah. kind of a divergence, but just, they're everywhere. Yeah. It's crazy, you know, and, it, you know, it, but if they're reaching people with the gospel, it's cool. I, I have no problems. Like my, my saying is like anything short, short of sin, of sin. Yeah. but then I also then rage against people who like churches that do stupid yeah. things like, I'm going to give you free gas if you listen yeah. to our spiel. Cause then it just feels like a gross sales. Give an page. iPad, come to church and get a free iPad. Right. And, I, and I've done all that stuff, man. I have. So here's a question I have for you because one of the questions that I'm I'm hearing posed is how much of it is the mega church or the the pastor, the elders, the board, or the mega church itself's fault, mm-hmm. and how much of it is like our fault as a culture in terms of like what we're desiring. And one of the things the podcast I was listening to was referencing was it talks a lot at least to this point about boomers and Gen X, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking like we're like we're always so far behind sociologically when we're talking about like. We should be talking about Gen Z, right? And right, right. So I just I wonder even if like that's going to be that compelling um, as we go the mega church celebrity. Maybe it is. I'm watching like TikTok brands are pretty important, but the heart of my question, I guess, is like how much do you think it's the cons- like our draw to big personalities? Like, do, is it fifty percent culpability, or is it like these mm. people capitalized on a need? And like, where, where do you see the the and guilt's the wrong word, but where do you see the sharing of responsibility in that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the the the, the problem with churches is full of people. Sure. And so, you, when you're in church and your pastor's a big deal, it rubs off on you. It feels nice to say, "I go to X, Y, or Z." Yeah, like you're a part of a big deal. Yeah, now. and now yeah. you're like, oh, and so like all of a sudden now, like if you're in uh, the Wu Tang entourage, <laughs> you're a big deal. Yeah. You know, they don't ask me to come hang out and yeah. travel all over. So I think that it's, I think it's, it, I don't know if there's a percentage. But definitely culture and celebrity yeah. culture is at its peak. Yeah. And so if mm. you've got a pastor, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, like, um, you know, Lentz broke my heart. Yeah. You know, he, Carl Lentz, I loved Carl. And I've seen, you know, I'd seen him preach live and I, but I listened to him weekly because I really feel like he's a, a I felt like he was a solid Dude. preacher, yeah. you know, and uh, I liked what he had to say. And of course, 
sometimes I didn't like what he had to say. And that's also good if you're in church because you're yeah, you mean iron like supposed to right? yeah, sharpen iron. And so, um, and then, you know, th- but th- the thing that really irked me the worst with him, you know, and I was just culpable because I, I didn't worship him, but I, he was my guy, you know what I mean? Sure. Like I was, I was team Lentz, you know, and then to have him, you know, like it seemed, it didn't just seem like he's like he, there was some financial issue or a mistake or he thought he was doing the right. It, it, it was like full on. It seemed like premeditated. I must, yeah. and he's a stud. Okay. Like yeah. dude's ripped, but it wasn't a good yeah. basketball player. You know, it, it wasn't a misappropriation of funds or like, right. Hey, even with, or he didn't walk match. into a hotel room and all of a sudden like, yeah, whoops, you know, it was like, pre-match. or even the Matt Chandler thing where he's like, I'm having unguarded conversations. Right. Like it was, a, it was calculated in regards to what everyone thinks of that, but like it was calculated, like decisions. That right. Yeah. And yeah. so that just broke my heart and you know, he's kind of back now. He posted like two days ago. I don't know when this is going to go live, but uh, you know, a photo shoot of his family and, thanked everybody who was standing by them and all that. And uh, I'm like, yo, dude, you played your cards, bro. Like, that's it. Well, what do you think of – so I'm interested. Now I am into mercy and grace and forgiveness. Yeah, so that's what – I'm interested in that because I've been thinking about that because it – like, I remember when I heard Driscoll started the new church Uh in, I think, Arizona. Well, and he he did it – in like, my understanding is contrary to how the – his advisors and the elders that they brought in to – Try sure. to figure this whole thing out, like what they against their wishes. Yeah. I think. Well, I'm so I was I when this all was going on, I was still in the Northwest, and so mm-hmm. I like the the ripple effects even down to Portland. Um, you could feel the seismic activity. And I was working a little like monthly in Seattle with a Christian college, and so like there I could feel it. Like mm-hmm. you watched churches go up eight hundred people in attendance, the bigger ones, right? Some like fifty people, right? Yeah, because like, they left. Yeah, yeah you they saw that. So, but I remember when he started, because I didn't know the full, this is really interesting now because I'm learning so much more of the story. Um, but I remember I was really pissed because I was like, you, you, you played your cards, you messed up, like you're out, like this, you, <laughs> it's done, right? And I've been wrestling with that since because like he's got a pretty decent TikTok following now. He's got, a, I think his church is pretty big. Uh, you just, you never know when you don't go to something, sure. but you imagine he has influence. But like, and then I look into scripture and I see people like that are killing Christians. And then all of a sudden they're like, the number one like evangelist out there and like, uh-huh. be able, like, right. So I don't like, that's one of the things I wrestle with. And this is a, a very different topic. So we don't have to chase this rabbit very long, but with the, the lenses and then there's, uh, there's what's Billy Graham's net Like mm-hmm. there's that guy. Um, there's, um, or Billy Graham's like grandson or something like that. And then just all these people like that are, they make resurgence. Yeah. There is like some excitement and like maybe God's grace has prevailed. Mm-hmm. But then I also, on the other side of like talking about both sides of my mouth, like did any of the leadership issues actually get solved? You know what I mean? Right. So I don't know. I don't know if I have a question there, but I'm just saying I, like inside of me, I wrestle with that. Yeah, a lot. I understand. I, I do too. And I, uh, I mean, that's cause our flesh wants revenge it wants a pound of their flesh because they screwed up right yeah but i think that and also me wanting like if i know i ever mess up like i do feel called to this yeah and it's like there's so many things that could like i remember thinking my divorce like oh am i done now right that's how i I felt too with mine yeah well my two cents on that is is that yes of course we but we we have to follow the scripture and we have to have grace for people if they're truly repentant um, and it's really hard to know if they're truly repentant until 10 years later to see if they've sure. you know, relapsed in the, whatever it was that they were doing. But my, my thing is, is the Bible's really clear about issues in the church. 
the Bible's clear. Like if you have a problem with somebody, you go to that person. Yeah. And then if that person doesn't change or, or make efforts to move forward, then you bring one other person. So now there's two of you that have gone to that. And yeah. before you go to the church, then, then you go before the whole church and you issue your complaint. And there's supposed to be like some sort of um, uh, redemption in bringing you back. You're, you're supposed to be removed and then you're supposed to be brought back yeah. after you've had counseling or rehab or whatever it is that you sure. need. Because they're just human beings, you know. Um, but a reinstating after the. Yeah. And, and I don't see that happening. Yeah. What I see is you go create a new sandbox. Somewhere. They fire him <laughs> yeah. immediately because they want to distance themselves from the noise. That's not biblical. Sure. I mean, we're the only religion that, that shoots our, our wounded, you know, like mm. we're just like, Oh, you could possibly get some stank on me. Yeah. I'm out, you know, and that, and that's not what Jesus did. I mean, Jesus like literally went to the stinky people. Like that was his goal. Um, so I look at, you know, some of the people that I've been looking at for a long time and just kind of watching is like people that are real, like real people doing real ministry. Uh, and you can tell when you go to a church, if they're selling you a bag, you know, a, sure. a bag of malarkey, you know, yeah. I mean, you, you, sometimes you can't, and that's a little scary if they're that good. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you know, Jim and, and Tammy Faye Baker, right? Like just full, you know, both nut jobs, but they went from, I think people who love Jesus and probably still do. I don't know. I think Tammy's dead. I don't even know who they are. Oh, you don't know who Jim and Tammy Faye Baker are? No. Oh, you definitely. There's so many documentaries and things of this nature out there of them. What, give, what like, give they me were, like 30 like seconds. First televangelists okay. uh, ever, like literally had like a, a full Graceland, like a full, they, mm. they were building an amusement park for Christians, like okay. a huge Disney world for Christians. Mm. And uh, misappropriating funds, whatever. Uh, but uh, in all kinds, there was sexual things and whatever. Uh, and you know who Ted Haggard is too, right? I think so. Okay, I'll talk. We can talk about him too. He was the one that was like doing blow and hiring male escorts. And I he was a big televangelist. More newspapers. But here's the thing. They're just humans. Sure. Ted Haggard, probably his whole life, he's probably gay and he's probably been told his whole life, you can't do that. That's not what God wants. So- he marries a nice girl. He has kids. He does the things he's supposed to be doing, right? Yeah. The, in the in the eyes of the church, and then, uh, but it it doesn't fulfill his the way he feels like he is, and so he does this other thing. I don't know yeah. where the drugs come in, but maybe he had to do the drugs so he could do the other stuff. I don't know. Yeah. But Jim and Tammy Faye Baker's kid, his name's Jay Baker, and he's a pastor at a, like a bar church in New York city. Okay. But he, like d- a decade ago, like six people was going to his church, okay. but he's all tatted up and he's a, just a real dude. He's a real one, you know? And I look at these people and go, uh, and I mean, he, he screws up all the time. Like that's the mm. whole thing is that he's not like, afraid. he's not putting a facade. Out. No, he's not trying to sell you the, the bill of goods and make you feel like he's the holiest guy in the yeah. room. And I'll tell you this right now, like I'm super guilty of this. Like, I always thought that the pastor should be, if I go to a church, the pastor needs to be holier than me. Mm. The pastor needs to be the holiest dude in the room. If I go to a mechanic to fix my car, because I can't fix they it, because I don't know how, mechanic. they better fix it. They're yeah. supposed to know how to do that. If I go to a restaurant and it's a skinny chef, I don't like that. I want a guy <laughs> who eats, you know, or a gal who eats. When I go to church, I need that pastor to have more understanding and biblical depth and, and a mm. theological understanding more than me. And I want them to be holier than me. Sure. Because I need somebody to follow, right? So I've been guilty of that. And n- now I go to a church online 
that where the pastor constantly talks about his flaws. Matter of fact, he talks about how people leave his church on a pretty regular basis because he talks about his flaws and his sins and how he's working towards yeah. doing better. But if we're just human beings, and like this is what the, I mean, if you're not a Christian and you look at us, I mean, who wants to be a Christian? Yeah. I mean, if God hasn't captured your heart, like the Holy Spirit done that work, yeah. forget it because we suck. Yeah. I mean, we are not, we are so, we're all hypocrites, including me, including yeah, everybody. Including Every me, Christian yeah. is a hypocrite and we don't, um, we don't represent Christ well at all. And of course that's because we're humans, but why do we act this other way? Yeah. We should just act like we're dirtbags because we're dirtbags. Yeah. And well, I know that Emily has a whole different opinion. On sure, that. sure, sure. Well, you, I think it's she's funny because this episode will come out right after the Holy Spirit episode. Yeah. You just talked about the Holy Spirit, uh, which I think is really cool. Right, okay. Um, but what is interesting, so like at the core of what I hear you even saying, let's go back to the the Graceland people, right? The guy yeah. that, and yeah. whatever the reason is of, of doing drugs and having escorts, right? That's Ted Hager. That's Ted Hager. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So that guy, like, I think there is a level of like, and I feel this, right? Like, because I have a denomination. Maybe you feel don't feel this if you're non-denominational. But as a pastor, like, you get to the point where, like, you finally got the, you've, or you're ordained, or you have the church, or whatever, whatever you were striving for, right? And you look around, and you're like, oh, I still, like, have sinful desires. I still right. have, I'm still a human. Um, and you look around, and you're like, well, you have two choices. And there's a pastor who's no longer a Methodist pastor, which I really actually respected, um, and still do respect, so not, but he's no longer a Methodist pastor. But I really appreciated that he was wore his sin, so to speak, on his sleeve. Like he was always very upfront about who he was and what he was struggling with. And I think it was kind of to his demise within right. a system. And right. I think hard, what I find to be really hard is my sinful desires, my pride, my arrogance, lust, any of those things have not gone away. Mm-hmm the day I got ordained or the day that I became a Christian or the day I became a pastor. It's frustrating. And it's frustrating. But then you get into that place and you have to get on the pulpit every Sunday. Mm -hmm. And even in our church, don't have a pulpit. You have to stand up in the bar in the cool church or whatever. But you still have to like project some level of knowledge and not perfection, but it's like, but if I roll in hungover, like that's a bad look, right? Sure. But I would also say, come to church hungover. Like I'd rather have you in church. Come to church drunk. Right. And so like you're drunk already. And so and I don't I'm not saying to say like I want to do any of those things. But I think like there is on the positive way to articulate it. There's a burden of leadership Mm -hmm. that I think can be overwhelming to people. Sure. There's also a burden of trying to present a false sense of self. And I think that's where I watch a lot of these. And I say guys because primarily guys because yeah. that's who's had the keys to the church. Like those Marcel Pascal is funny because they only use men. Right. And it's like when I'm thinking like, oh, the audience is only people that think men can be pastors. But right. so when I say that, like whoever the pastors are, there are those two kind of competing things mm-hmm. that I think really prevent pastors specifically from being able to be authentic, which is for at least you. But I also think for the upcoming generations is what's the most compelling is an authentic mm-hmm. version of like, I don't have to have it all together. I don't have to be perfect but I'm invited to be in community with you. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're, I think you're totally, I think you're right. I think that, that we need to have communities and that, and that, well, I mean, I think that's why uh, groups like um, celebrate recovery do yeah. so well sure. because a lot of times their leader is a, is a guy or a gal who was on heroin or yeah. whatever. And is allowed to be honest about it. And can things. just say, yeah, I mean, they, they do like uh, AA and these other ones where they get up and they say, I'm a, this is my issue and I'm a follower of Jesus or whatever they say. But the idea is uh, first this, I was a sinner and I was saved by the grace of God. Mm. And, 
and I'm still a sinner, but I'm saved by the grace of God every day. And that's, that's another whole concept that we don't talk a lot about, but like salvation happens every day, like every day you're like yeah. resaved. And I don't mean that in a like you theological way. Yeah. yeah. But it's this idea that we're making decisions every morning. If we're going to, you know, yeah. when we get up, who are we going to serve today? And well, just it's easy to serve yourself. Yeah. I just did a wedding and like my message talking about like what the key to a successful marriage is. And mm-hmm. it was like, it's not like really big. It's choosing every day mm-hmm. to like love that person. Right. I think it's the same thing with like a relationship with God. It's like, it's a daily choice to say, am I going to, yeah. am I going to choose God? I'm going to choose my relationship with God over what my fleshly desires yeah. are calling. Me. And guess what? Sometimes I do. And sometimes I don't. Yeah. And God still loves me. God, on my worst yeah. day, God loves me. He's crazy about yeah. me. Well, that's the funny thing. It's like our choice doesn't dictate God's choice, no. which I think is the thing that oftentimes would be the cynical response like well that seems like it's x y or, and i this is a bummer like we'll have to actually revamp this conversation with sure. back because i think it'll add yeah more we're not really more. talking about past <laughs> mega churches anymore <laughs> uh but i do think it's interesting well i think we are in some ways because we're talking about the impact of the perfect celebrity pastor in the trickle sure. to us. Yeah. because when i look at it i think that's part of where at least in my role of wanting to be a pastor and my understanding of christianity i base it too on mega churches and pastors and people to your thing, like I go to the chef or the mechanic or whatever, the pastor, mm-hmm. I based my understanding of what it meant to be a Christian and later a pastor off the versions of pastors I saw primarily in large churches. Well, yeah, because why are you going to see the other ones? They don't get yeah. any press coverage yeah. or any kind of – they don't even know how podcasts work. And the genesis of the internet, right? Like there was right. only a few of them out there to like model. So like yeah. I listened to a lot of Driscoll sermons even though I didn't listen to him because like, well, I got to listen to someone's sermon in sure. my dorm room, right? <laughs> yeah, and he had his online. Did he, he had them online? They were online. Well, you know, I think mega churches. Um, uh, I think you – if you're a person who attends a mega church, uh, there's a lot of people who are very happy in a mega church. Yeah. You know, they, what, for whatever reason, there's a whole group of people that just check the box because they went to church. There's a whole group of people that serve, you know, and, and sure. it's, it's a comfortable, uh, cool place to serve because the, the lights are cool and the smoke machines and the guitars and there's good music. It's not some tone deaf, you know, 17 year old kid trying to lead worship. Cause that's all they have, you know? Sure. Um, is it authentic? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. And that's the question is like, what are you like for me? I, I desire that I went to a church in Austin uh, when we lived there for a while. That was that guy. I mean, it was a guy who could barely hold that note and it was not great. It was in mm-hmm. a, it was in a school gym, you know, sure. church plant startup. You set up and tear down the whole thing. And, um, uh, but I loved it. I loved it. I yeah. loved, I loved that guy's heart for Jesus. I loved that. No one else had stepped up, so he figured out how to play guitar, and he's doing this yeah. thing. And it, it's it wasn't about him clearly because he was probably yeah, it was the person over the product, right? Yeah, it was great, man. And now I go to a church online where the guy sounds like um, Bob Dylan, and Bob Dylan, I mean, he's a great storyteller, but he's not a fantastic vocalist. Let's be honest. <laughs> I mean, um, and I love it. Yeah, I just love it. I love that. I love you know. I mean, for a long time, I thought the hymns were lame, and now I love them. You know, it's like I'm getting old, too. But. Yeah. Well, I do think there's a little bit of a cyclical nature of like the things that end seasons and all that. And so but to tie it in real quick, like so when we think about this in terms of deconstruction, like how much, if at all, do you think the mega church world, the celebrity pastor has tied into deconstruction? So, I mean, in the last, we'll say five years, maybe 10, mm-hmm. there's been. A half a dozen, a dozen large pastors that have, yeah, or churches that have fallen 
church for whatever reason. Yeah. Like what, from your perspective, like, and you've been in church ministry longer than I have, like, how have you seen? I've been in church ministry since you've been born. I think that's probably right. (laughs) (laughs) So where Uh, where do you see the correlation or connection between these two? I actually think there's a lot of correlation. I think that the mega church has set a precedence for what, like what is success in mm-hmm. a church? If, you know, if you're Michael Jordan, you know, there's probably not a lot of, you know, back then there was no one could beat him. He was Michael sure. Jordan, right? Michael Jordan. And so everyone is sort of trying to do this thing where we're trying to meet the needs of people, um, but we're doing it in this way where we start to copy each other. And then there's some pressure on the leadership. Cause once like, if you're the pastor, you're the leaders of this church, and then you go build a $10 million building, your name's on that. Your social security number is sure. associated with that. Now, all of a sudden, it's a whole nother ball game. It's like, yeah. there's reasons why I got to get butts in seats, yeah. whether those are uh, pure and holy or whatever, right? So I think that, honestly, I don't I don't know many, I don't think I've known anyone who is a lover of Jesus who has deconstructed their relationship with Jesus if they had a relationship with Jesus. Mm. I see a lot of people who deconstruct their relationship to the church. Yeah. And it's because they've been wounded by humans and I have been wounded by humans. And honestly, I've probably wounded other humans in in the ministry. I've probably made jokes at their expense and hurt them. I've probably overworked them and not seen their great, um, their great contribution to the organization and let them have a break every once in a while. I mean, I've I've probably done that myself, so I'm probably guilty. But when you look, I I know I am. I'm not probably, I am guilty of that. Um, And then you go, well, we're doing this so people know Jesus. Well, I don't know if that's true. I mean, I don't, I don't find that lots and lots and lots of people, and you don't find it in the Bible, come to know Jesus in the synagogue or in the church. Yeah. That's not where it happens. It's not where they met him, right? Even up until Billy Graham, like it was, ha- you know, those were, I mean, yes, it happens. Of course, people meet Jesus at church, but it's in the marketplace that people, yeah. that people generally will have an influence over them. If you have a friendship, I've got some friends right now that are in a bourbon club with me that I have specifically met in the marketplace and invited them to the bourbon club. I have not invited them to church, Yeah, but I'm building the, the, that relationship and I have chips in the game and I have an ulterior motive eventually to hopefully have some influence. Uh, I know one of those guys is feels the same way about me because he works out at the gym all the time. He's yoked and he's a big dude. And I, he's asked me lots of, Hey, when are you going to join the gym? I need to work out, buddy. Yeah. So he's got an ulterior motive too. Sure. And they're both pure. I care about his eternal soul. He cares about my belly and my overhang <laughs> and my pants here. So in my health, right? I think it's neat that we both care about each other. Sure. Eventually, maybe I join the gym and I go and maybe he meets Jesus. That'd be cool, man. I think yeah. that'd be super cool. But like th- those have to be the motivating factors. It can't be, oh, we got to build a bigger sanctuary. Yeah. We have to get the bigger name worship leader. We have to do this conference. We have to write a book. That's all about you, man. And yeah. and I've been there. I mean, yeah. I had a huge youth group at uh, multiple churches when I was a youth pastor. And uh, I was very successful at it. Yeah. And it was a lot about me. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting idea because it's where the it's a case of where the means become the end right like mm-hmm. the book should be the thing that's hoping helping people re- meet jesus right mm-hmm. the bigger building 
should be helping yeah. people. Like any of those things should right. be that, but the, the, or the end, sorry, it become the means rather, right. right? And so, um, no, the means are kind of, I said, right. The, the ends justify the means. Well, I'm kind of stupid. So yeah. I don't know what all these sayings mean. I'm not kind of stupid. I'm super stupid. The train but, left. The, <laughs> I don't know. But one thing that you said that I find to be really compelling was like, and I don't think it's nobody. I think there are people, maybe they're deconstructing Jesus, but I think like maybe, and again, out of both sides of my mouth, they're deconstructing the church and what they've been told about Jesus from the church. Yeah. Right. right. And so they, in a sense are deconstructing Jesus, but they're deconstructing what they were told to be true. About right, Jesus. right. Right. And I think for sure, like that's I, one of the things that I find to be the hardest thing about being a pastor and being a pastor that wants to grow something. Like I look at the Driscoll, like he was deconstructing what he thought was wrong with the church. Mm-hmm. And and he would never admit that. Get him on the spot. He'd be like, I've never deconstructed a day. In my right. Life, sure, right. Of course. But he was deconstructing his, his, I'll beef. deconstruct your jaw from your face, bro. If you say that. Yeah, again. I think you will. Mark, <laughs> we'll have you on anytime you want to be on. Uh, but I think that he is deconstructing what he knew to be true. And he was, I think, at the beginning, he had really – I disagree with him theologically on a lot yeah. of things. But I think his heart was pure. Sure. I would actually say that. But then you get bigger and you build this thing. And now you're looking at this this path of wreckage and carnage. And the people that are out of that and anyone is church. church and the same with you and me. Like you said, there's a, probably some carnage in your path. Mm-hmm. I know there's some in mine. Like as you're saying that, I had like specific faces pop yeah. up of like staff I've worked with or congregants where I've, I've done them dirty, right? right. And, and not intentionally, but I burned them out or did whatever – and that's, I think, a lot of times what people are deconstructing. And when I look at the point of what I want, the reason I'm engaging in this is to not just to right the wrongs of things I've done in the past, but to create space to be like, sure, this is a real thing. And it may not be who Jesus is or who God is. It might be that. But it's like, how do we name with honesty and vulnerability the way the church has messed it up? And then mm-hmm. say, like, how can we do better and sure. create spaces for feedback for that? Yeah, I love it. Well, Emily's a unicorn, too. I mean, she, in her own way, like just how smart she is and how educated she is in her own tradition. And then to be able to come on and to be able to articulate that in the way that she does. And still have a passion for the church. Yeah. Is it's incredible. Right. Um, I think, I think there could be an entire podcast where you just get on with people and they tell you how they were hurt and wounded by the church. And you just say that you're sorry. Yeah. Like you take it on as the representative of the church. Yeah. And then it's like reverse confession instead of like, forgive you. Yeah. I'm just sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's, and then, and then if they want to hear your two cents on it, Mm -hmm. you do, but if they don't, that's okay too. They, they got to get it out to a pastor. I think, I think that'd be really interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't know my heart, my heart, I don't know if it could take that. It probably needs that. Yeah. Because I do think like, that's one thing too. I think about, I've got to where I'm at and there, I don't know that there is, but I think that maybe there could be a pastor that's like, I've never hurt anyone. There's no way. Man. And there you have to like, there's, I'm a pretty nice guy and I can also be a huge a-hole. Yeah. And there's no way. And I mean, I have just like human beings, man. Yeah. We're just human beings, We're just human, human beings that live in a world con- constantly bombarded with sin and lustful images and people dropping the F-bomb. I love saying the F word, Yeah, but I try really hard not to sure. because I, not because I think it's offensive. I think it's a a sound that we make with our vocal cords, like everything else, but I don't want someone else. I don't want to, I don't want to damage the reputation, reputation of Jesus that I may have in someone else's eyes. Yeah. Because I chose a word. Yeah. I mean, I love sinning. It's fantastic. It's so fun, but it's not, God says not to. 
Yeah. You know, and I go, all right, well, I I want to, you know, but I you say not to. I say I love you. I say I trust you. I'm going to try not to do it, you know, mm. and I still screw up and do it all the time. But like, let me say this real quick story. A girl, a woman, young woman, shouldn't say girl, one, young woman who's one of my leaders. Uh, but just in the summer, she's in college back in the day. She comes into one of your office. old churches. Yeah, old yeah. church, a long time ago. Uh, and she comes into my office with a Bible and it's got like maybe six or eight tabs marked. Okay. And she said, um, Dustin, I, w- I would like to talk to you. I'd like to speak to you privately if that's okay. I said, yeah, no problem. Sit down closed door we had windows you know so all good you know no no nothing weird but she starts to go systematically through each tab and use scripture to put me in my place Mm -hmm. and it i hadn't done anything like real bad or anything i'm just real slick tongued and i can make fun of people sure really fast and i guess sometimes i'm finding their weakness and that's painful um and i would do it at an ex- at expense make everyone laugh but at the expense of one, one person. person right um and i'm really good at it and i wish it wasn't my my like one super spiritual gift <laughs> yeah um and so she um she came in and told me what was what and i mean that was 15 18 maybe no it was longer it was like 18 19 years ago and it still affects me i mean and she, the bravery that this young lady had, yeah. you know, I mean, at first I was like, I said, I apologized to her, you know, but it was all lip service. I just wanted to get her out of my office. Yeah, you're like, I, this is BS. I was and so then, red. I was yeah. just like, no, I mean, I felt called out and embarrassed, okay. but I also felt like, who are you Yeah, to come in here and tell, you know, to my office and my, and it was a huge office <laughs> on the corner with windows. Um, and, uh, but I mean, I'm telling you, it's affected me to this mm. day, her bravery, but you know, I know I must've hurt her at some point or she saw how I was hurting other people. Yeah. I was empathetic. And she was like, that, yeah. this isn't right, man. And she did what the Bible says one-on-one. She came to me mm. and if I wouldn't have changed and I'm, I'm not sure how long, I don't think I went like this and flipped a switch because I've been doing that my whole life as a defense mechanism. Uh, I think, I hope she would have brought another brother or sister and said, mm. you know, it was cool that she was trying to, you know, help you out. do it right. And well, help me out and help the other kids out. You know, in comedy, they have a, a, a phrase for what you just did. A callback. That's a callback, baby. It, from when? You talked about bringing a uh, person with you and if it doesn't work. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. I called it. Call I did a callback. Uh, this is going to be a long one. So, well, so I was going to uh, say, I think we'll wrap it up. But yeah. as we end, um, one of the things that I think we've done a, a above average job in is like we we name concerns, but then we don't leave by just taking a big dump on everything. Sure, and we're like, yeah. We're gonna let it burn, right? right and so, right. in the reality of what we see, like, what is your hope for the church moving forward? Knowing that maybe we have, maybe we'll, I mean, we will certainly continue to have mega churches and celebrity yeah. pastors and all of that, and it's gonna have its inherent issues. And maybe there's inherent issues. We could do a whole episode on. 15 person churches that are hyper insular. Probably we could do the same thing. Right? Sure. But, um, what's your hope for the church out of the, out of this conversation? I hope that people, and the deconstructor, I guess, though, for the church and the deconstructor. Yeah. My hope for the church is that the, the people that are, uh, in the congregation that they make Jesus their hero. And I know that sounds corny and cliche, Yeah. but if you're reading your own Bible, if you're, spending time with God, like, and that becomes the relationship that you have to have, like that you desire, then you don't need, need, it might still be fun and you might like it, what goes on at a church meeting. Mm. Uh, We have to still gather. The Bible's pretty clear about it. We need to be in each other's lives 
uh, iron sharpen iron, all that stuff. But yeah, you don't have to. Um, you don't. There's it, it going to a big church with a good coffee and all the people that open the door for you and all that stuff. That's just all luxuries. Yeah. You don't need that. You can go to a smaller church. I would also say look for a church. Figure out what your things are. Like, what do you need a church to be? And and I know what mine are. Mine are. I have three. Uh, one is that there's a, a space for my teenage kid and my 11 year old kid. Like, is there a youth group? Is there sure. some kind of thing that they're going to connect to? That's most important because I can self feed. I don't need the pastor up there sure. preaching because most of the time I've heard it a hundred times, you know? Sure. Uh, second thing is um, I need to be a part of a church that is authentic and honest and real. And then third, they have to be involved in the community in some way. I need to be able to, we need to be able to serve God. We can't just go to meetings, sing songs and then leave. Sure. We have to be giving back to the community in some way. And that's not like a feel good thing. That's a physical representation of us serving mm-hmm. the planet and I don't mean like, yeah, like, you know, global warming, although that's important too, but, um, it, it's the, the community seeing us and saying, oh, that's a group of Christians, you know, and look at this, this kind thing they've done for our yeah park or whatever it is, uh, or we're feeding people or like what you guys did when the storm came through. I mean, yeah. you guys were a physical representation of love to mm. people that needed it. And that's what. God, I mean, God yeah. is love. I mean, that's that's what that's it. You were literally being God, not that you're God, but your actions were a reflection. Christian means tiny Christ, yeah. so you're being a little Christ. Yeah, to, we're representing the love of Christ. To, yeah, yeah. So your encouragement would be to find not your thing in the sense of like the, the it's okay. speaker. Thing, yeah, it's okay like, to be uncomfortable. It's okay yeah. that it's not the coolest thing you ever did. Find authentic relationships, mm. whether that's a small group or uh, whatever it is in your community. Uh, and, you know, figure, figure out where you should be. I'm, I'm not, I'm going to a church right now in Portland, Oregon, and we live in St. Charles, Missouri. Yeah. So I'm not serving and I, and it's a battle I'm battling inside yeah. my chest. I've gone to every church, save one or two in this area, trying to find the, the, to f- check those three boxes. It's amazing. Yeah. They're not that hard. You yeah. know, there's one that does check all three. They're just so odd. So now I have to just go, Okay. It doesn't matter if they're odd. Yeah. Because I have my own oddities. Right. So oh. anyway. And then for the deconstructor, I would just say, just keep looking at Jesus because I promise you, man, like I know that's a dumb thing to say or like a cliche thing to say, but ju- just keep reading the gospels. Just keep looking yeah. at how, how Jesus interacted with the dirtbags, how like me, how Jesus interacted with people that the whole rest of the society shunned, how Jesus interacted with the re- wealthy people and the the powerful people. He was a rebel, man. And he was, he, he just, they, I don't know how you couldn't be in love with him. Well, I love that. I think I would echo that in the sense that like the church is important in the sense that it's community fixing yep. our eyes on Jesus, I think is really important. And I think my hope is this is just the opening up of a larger conversation of the importance of church and how we can maybe reimagine it and understand that, Jesus is a central figure and the church is the way we've attempted to organize around that. And mm-hmm. how can we figure out how to do that with, with meaning and with purpose and intentionality. But like you said, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus throughout the process. So yep. um, friends with that, I think this is a fun chat. Um, let's embrace the journey. Last word. <laughs>